Please be opening your Bible to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 3. We're continuing our teaching series from this chapter on the family, future family. Some of you may have seen in the news this week the story about uh, Mayor de Blasio and some of the city council members in New York um, saying some very critical things about Chick-fil-A and saying they would not eat there and encouraging the citizens of New York to boycott Chick-fil-A. What got their attention was Chick-fil-A is now opening its fourth store in New York as they expand to the Northeast. And, and of course, they were going back to three years ago when uh, Dan Cathy, the, you know, the, the, the president of Chick-fil-A, made the comment that as a believer, as a Christian, he believes in what the Bible teaches about marriage, that it's between a man and a woman. And so ever since then, some on the far left have been critical of Chick-fil-A. And it's interesting, every time they encourage a boycott, people just line up around the block to get in and eat more chicken. And uh, that's what's happened in New York, too, so praise God for that. (laughs) You may may not know this, but uh, Chick-fil-A has seen a 10% or better increase in sales practically every year since 1946 when Truett Cathy started the company. And that's that's remarkable in the business world. It really really is. They retain 96% of their franchisees. That's unheard of. They, uh, they retain 95% of their corporate staff, unheard of, sell more chicken than anybody else in the country and uh, the world, actually, and, um, you know, and part of it, and we all know that, is, and, and think about this, the most profitable fast food chain in the, co- in the country, and, and they're, they're closed one day uh, that people think you have to work to make money. It's just a, it's just a, a miracle of God. But, you know, their culture is about service. And when you, when you go there, 99 out of 100 times, you're going to hear something along the lines of, it's my pleasure to, to serve you, right? It's my pleasure. And there's just that, there's a different atmosphere. I mean, I'm not going to name any other fast food chains, okay? But you go in some and, uh, well, it's, it's, nothing, let me just, it's nothing like that, right? And um, I knew Truett Cathy's pastor really well. And spent some time in Atlanta. And the guy loved the Lord. He taught, do you know he taught a, a boys Sunday school class for decades in his, in his church at First Baptist Jonesboro, south of uh, Atlanta. And uh, he took Christ and servant leadership as the model for how he would run his, his business. And so they've, they've created a culture that, you know, just identifies them. And, you know, probably those, uh, those, those, those cows encouraging people to eat more chickens probably help their business some too, but uh, it's a great branding technique. But, uh, uh, you know, they, but they have a culture. When you think of Chick-fil-A, there are just certain things you think of, and it's not just the chicken sandwich. It's the service. It's the quality. It, 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 it may, they have their own, their own culture. I mean, you just, they've got their identity. They, they have their culture. And here's a question I want to ask, ask you. When, when people think about your family, when, when people think about you individually, do they think of a certain culture, a certain DNA? How are you branded? What, what comes to their mind? Do, do they think of your family, do they think of you individually as somebody who, who really loves Jesus do, do, is, does your family, do you individual, do you have the culture that says, you know, we're not perfect, but we live for the Lord? What's the, what's the culture of your family? 
What's the culture of you, your life, your DNA? What, what are you known for? How, how are you identified when people think about you? Today I want to I talk in the last sermon in this series about the importance of having a Jesus culture when it comes to your life, a Jesus culture when it comes to your family. Now, we, we've been looking in chapter 3 because at verse 18, for the next four verses, he talks about the family and, and just deals with one specific thing pretty much for each member of the family. And the reason he didn't say more is because he'd said so much about relationships in the verses leading up to verse 18. So we're taking all of those verses and applying them to the family because the first four verses in this chapter talk about our relationship with Jesus and how that sets the tone for our approach to life. We we get our direction from heaven, not from earth, from from the kingdom of God, not from this worldly sinful culture. And then verses 5 and following talk about how we treat other people, how we treat one another as fellow believers, fellow followers of Christ. And so the way God wants you to treat other Christians, you know he also wants you to treat your family that way. And so we're applying those verses. Well, now when we get to these two verses we're going to focus on this morning, verses 16 and 17, he kind of goes full circle and back to the first four verses and and summarizes it all again and saying the motivation, what really really drives us in in all of these relationships with other believers and and, uh, with our family is our relationship with Christ. And so he just kind of He just kind of pulls it all together in these two verses. And so I want us to look at these two verses and talk about some of the the practical things we need to do if we want to have what I'm just going to quote-unquote call a Jesus culture in our family, a Jesus culture in your life. And maybe maybe you come from a family that doesn't have much Christian tradition. I, you know, I've, I've said before, Sundays around my house when I was a child, it was all about Bullwinkle and Rocky the Squirrel. I mean, church had nothing to do with it. Jesus, had not, Jesus was not part of our family. So there's a whole new tradition in, in our family. Maybe, maybe your situation is like mine, and you, you, you have to be honest and say, you know, the family that I come from, that I'm a part of, it's not a Jesus family. It's not a Jesus culture. I'm, I may be one of the few, if not the only, follower of Jesus in that home. Well, the good news is the future doesn't have to be what the past has been. You can can change that for your family, for your marriage, for your children, for your grandchildren, and interestingly have an influence on your extended family because it's not just me that's a Christian. My sister's a Christian, and her kids are Christian, and and, and, and actually one of my sister's granddaughters is being baptized today in Kentucky. My mom's a Christian. My dad died a Christian. I led my grandfather to the Lord, and uh, I've got cousins. So it doesn't have to you just never know what God's going to do in your family if you choose to say Jesus is the culture of my life Jesus is the DNA of of who I am he's my life and if you want that for your life and if you want that for your family both today and in the future because remember the premise of this sermon series future family is that what you are experiencing today in many ways was was prepared was shaped by what happened yesterday And what's going to happen in your family life tomorrow in many ways, not completely, but in many ways, is being being shaped by by what you do today, how you talk today, how you treat one another today, the authenticity of your relationship with Jesus today, the authenticity of your love and the faithfulness of your love for your family. What you're doing today in in many ways is going to shape color tomorrow in your life and in your family. 
And so if you want the, the Jesus culture to, to rule your family in the years to come, you got to start doing some things right now. Can't wait till tomorrow. It's too late. you got to do it now, today. And even if you're single, you're a young person, a Jesus culture today is going to shape who you fall in love with, who you, who you propose to, who you say yes to when they ask you to marry them. And that's going to have a major impact on the future of your family. So there's, there's no way of escaping the reality that if you have a Jesus culture today, it's going to impact tomorrow. And if you don't have a Jesus culture today, it's going to also impact tomorrow. Amen. So let's look at these two, two verses. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read together? Chapter 3 of Colossians, verses 16 and 17. And then next Sunday, we're going to start a new teaching series called People Jesus Bragged On. Think about that. There's actually people in the Bible Jesus bragged on, and we're going to look at some of those and find some encouragement. Verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, speech or behavior, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Lord Jesus, I pray that the Holy Spirit takes these words and penetrates the shell we sometimes erect between us and you and in so doing touches our hearts and minds that we might be transformed to look more like Christ, and to bless our family for decades to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, real quickly, four things from these two verses we need to do if we want to promote a Jesus culture in our life and in our family. And the first one is this. Build your life around the truth of God's Word. If you build your life on a, on a philosophy other than what is revealed in Scripture, you're not going to create a Jesus culture in your life and in your family. Build your life on the truth of God's Word. He's, he begins in verse 16 by saying, let the Word of Christ, the Word that was that Jesus spoke, the Word that was spoken about and written about Christ, Scripture, the Bible, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Dwell within you, live within you, reside in you, be at home in you. It needs to be as natural for God's word to be part of who you are on the inside, shaping who you are on the outside. That needs to be just second nature. It needs to be natural. God's word needs to be at home in your heart and in your soul, shaping your life if you're going to have a Jesus culture. The Word of God cannot be a place you simply visit like a, a weekend house at the beach or a mountain retreat. It needs to be the place you go to every day. It needs to be the place you sleep every night. It needs to be the place you wake up in the morning. It needs to be your home. Let it dwell within you. And then he says richly. There needs to be a wealth of it, an abundance of it in your heart and in your soul if it's going to shape 
your life. It's like a, a wealthy man's bank account or a palace filled with treasures. On two occasions when I've been in London, I've taken a day trip out to Windsor Castle, one of the royal residences. And uh, that's when Monisa and I were there last year. And if, how many of you have ever been to Windsor Castle and taken the tour? It's, you know, I, I, I'd go back again. There's just so much to see. And when you think about royalty, all the wealth that is contained in that place, and it's not all displayed. They've got a lot of stuff stored. All the, 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 the expensive paintings, all the china, all the, all the decorations, all the, just the, just just treasures after just treasure after treasure after treasure. It's a house filled with wealthy, expensive treasures. And God is saying that is a picture of how His Word needs to be in your life, in your heart, in your mind, if you're going to really have a Jesus culture in your life and in your family. You, you need to be filled like, like, a, like, like the richest man in the world with the Word of God. Build your life on it. You, you can't do that if the only time you pick up your Bible is to bring it to church on Sunday. Just, just, just won't work. You, you can't do that if you're getting your understanding of life and values and priorities from everything you read in this culture and, you, and you're not reading God's Word and allowing it to shape you in those areas. just not going to happen. Be rich in His Word. That's the reason he says in verse 16, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. Teaching is sort of it's a positive word to give instruction, to learn. What does it mean? What does it say? How does it apply to our life? Admonishing, admonition is kind of a, a negative word. It's the idea of, all right now, you broke the rule. All right now, don't do that. All right now, if you go that, if you do this, Here's what's going to happen, okay? Here's the consequence. It's, it's correction. It's, it's hopefully at times preventative maintenance, so to speak. It's like if you don't change the oil in your car, what happens? If you don't change the, the air filters on, on your heating and cooling system at home, what's going to happen over time? It's God's way of saying, hey, in Scripture are some things that, that, that you need to pay attention to because if you don't, you know, the, the compressor is going to go bad. Your engine's going to start knocking. Life's going to mess up. You're going to, you're going to damage some things. And so the Word of God is both, both positive and negative. It's like two sides of the same coin, heads and tails. Hey, here's the good stuff. Hey, pay attention to this. And here's the warnings. Here's the correction. And the truth is, we need all of those. Have you ever, you know... The, the, the subway system, the tube in London, very efficient, easy to get around that, that large city. But if you go to London, I got so tired of hearing it, I started buying T-shirts with Mind the Gap. You know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been to London, Mind the Gap. That's, you know, that's pay attention to the gap between the train car, the, sub, the subway, the car, and the platform as you're getting off. 
so you don't step down through the hole between the car and the platform. There's always mind the gap. It's just if you go to London, you, you hear that in your sleep. Mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. Pay attention to the gap. God, God in his word is not saying some negative things because he's a, you know, he, he wants to kill fun. He's a, you know, he, he doesn't want you to have any fun in life. God <clears throat> says mind the gap because he knows you're going to break your neck if you don't. But there are people in this room who would not have gone through divorce and all of that pain if you had minded the gap. That there are people in this room who would not be struggling to overcome addiction and bad habits if they had heard God in his word say, mind the gap. That there are people who continually beat themselves up and feel guilty and and have low self-esteem because they didn't listen when God said, mind the gap. We don't, we don't pay attention when God says, mind the gap. We hurt ourselves and we hurt the people we love. And, and that's why I'm saying if you want to create a culture in your family that tomorrow means your family is going to be stronger, no guarantees, but the likelihood is there that it's going to be so much better than mind the gap. Pay attention. Build your life on what he says in his word. Let it, real, let it dwell within you richly. you got to listen to it. In, in chapter 2 of Colossians, if you'll look at that real quickly, verses 4 through 8, notice what he says. He said, I say, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Do you, do you understand that everything this, this unbelieving culture says about what is right and wrong that is not in agreement with what God says, is usually spoken in persuasive ways to make a fool of you, to delude you into believing that what the world says. And by the way, do you know what the world says? It's what Satan wants it to say. It's the philosophy of hell. It's the philosophy of sin. It's the philosophy of failure. And he says, it will delude you. Verse 5, for even though I am absent in body, in other words, he was not in the city of Colossae at this time. It's a letter he's writing to them. Even though I'm, I'm absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. That's what God wants in your life and in your family. And that's the whole purpose of Scripture is to give you stability in your relationship with God, stability in your faith. Verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Continue. Don't give up. Don't turn a different direction. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up, growing up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Now, here's the key verse, verse 8. See to it. That no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary or the basic principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Mind the gap. You want a Jesus culture? Then you've got to build your life and you've got to build your family's life 
on the truth of God's word. Stay rooted, stay grounded, keep growing. Number two, worship Jesus. I'm not going to stop there. With joy and sincerity. Now, let me ask you. If someone saw a picture of you while we were singing and worshiping Jesus, what would the picture look like? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm meddling, aren't I? <laughs> you're not worshiping just because you're here. You're not worshiping Jesus just because you're in this room. You're, you're not even worshiping Jesus just because you sing the words when we sing. You're not necessarily worshiping Jesus just because you're listening to me preach. Worship is about so much more than just being somewhere and doing something. The how you do it matters. The engagement of your heart and your soul and your mind and your spirit matters. Your attitude matters if it's worship. He said, worship Jesus, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That when you sing, there's something going on inside of you. When you're worshiping, there's something happening in you. You're not just listening. You know, music's a big part of most people's lives. Some people don't enjoy music much, but most of us do. And, uh, you know, music, music has a way of touching people's hearts and emotions, just, you know, cutting through stuff, right? It just gets down deep inside most of us. We, we use music to set the mood. You have a Christmas party, and what do you do? <laughs> Put on Christmas music. I've got... Uh, I've got a, an extensive playlist of love songs. You like to set the mood, right? Some of you guys could learn something from me. You need to get your list. If romance has died, resurrect it. That's what music does. Look at the influence on our culture of hip-hop and rap. Hamilton, the Broadway play, 16 Tony nominations, the most of any Broadway production in history. And most of the music is rap and hip-hop. Now notice he says hymns and Psalms and spiritual songs. If you think variety of Christian music is new, you don't know church history. We, we, anybody who tries to tell you exactly what all three of those terms means is speaking from an uninformed position because nobody knows exactly what those three terms mean. It's just they had different types of worship music 2,000 years ago just like we do today. But it's something we, we can use to, 
to give praise to God, to, 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 to let our hearts and souls be moved deeply as we love Jesus and, and express devotion to Him and faith in Him and dependence on Him. Singing with thankfulness in your heart. How, how do you do that when you, you, know, you, you look like you just took a bite of, of lemon you know, or something? Where's the, where's the joy? Where's the joy? You know, Thanksgiving's connected to your emotions. Singing to God the Father. It's, it's a focus on Him. I, I, hey, guys, it's not, listen to me, it's not a focus on music notes and techniques and the quality of your voice. It's a focus on Jesus. If you're hung up on music notes and techniques, you're not hung up on Him. It's, it's singing to Him. Yeah, we, we want quality, but brothers, worshiping Him means a whole lot more than are you perfect in hitting notes. Tim, Tim Hughes grew up attending church in America. <clears throat> when he was 18 years old, he spent a year in South Africa working with, with kids. And on Sundays, he led, a, he led worship at a small church in South Africa. His first Sunday there, he looked around and he realized they didn't have a sound system, they didn't have a piano, they didn't have an organ, no drums, no guitars, no nothing. And back in America, he was used to all of that in church. And so that first Sunday morning, he said to himself, how, in, how on earth are we going to worship? No PA system, no piano, no organ, no, no drums, no, no guitar, no nothing. How, are we going to, how in the world, how on earth are we going to worship Jesus? And then he heard those, those voices in that room just fill the air with love to Jesus, praise to Jesus, and all of a sudden he got it. He understood it. When he came back to the States, he wrote a song. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. If you want to know what worship is, just look at the lyrics in that song. And, and mom and dad, when your kids look at you, do, do they see somebody who goes to church just because it's what you've always done? It's habit, it's duty. When, when they hear you talk about church, do they, do they hear you moaning and complaining and, you know, and fried preacher over lunch and something about the Sunday school teacher, this and that? And they hear, they, do they hear negative stuff? What, what do they hear out of your mouth? You, you want a Jesus culture in your family, then make it about loving Jesus and about praising Jesus with thankfulness in your heart and get that other stuff out of you because it's not building a Jesus culture in your home. It might build a church culture, but it's not going to build a Jesus culture. And by the way, it's a way for us to encourage one another 
You're singing to God, but do you know what it blesses others? This, there's a parallel passage over in Ephesians chapter 5, um, verse 19. When he says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And it's interesting, he begins that verse by saying, speaking to one another. In other words, when you worship Jesus, other people hear, see, experience, it rubs off. What, what's it like to come into a sanctuary? Everybody just sitting there kind of dead. Does that inspire anybody? Does that motivate anybody? But what does it do when people are there and they're singing out? I don't, some of y'all know, you've heard, I don't have a good singing voice. That's what I've been told. When I'm in my truck, I think it sounds pretty good. But apparently when I'm out in public, it doesn't. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. You just sit there. What are you teaching your kids and grandkids? You don't ever smile in church. What are you teaching your kids and your grandkids? We, we, we inspire people. We encourage them. And we can also do just the opposite. Well, I got I got a rush. Number three, live for Jesus. Verse verse seventeen: Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does it mean to do something in someone's name? Hmm. What, what happens when an ambassador from the United States government goes to another country and he or she speaks, he or she acts in the name of the president, in the name of the United States of America? Whatever you do, whatever you say, do it in the name of Christ. For the Bible says we are his ambassadors in this world. We are his representatives in this culture. And so we live under his authority. We speak under his authority. We represent him. He backs us up. He's our boss and thus we're submitted to him. That everything you say and everything you do, you're repping Jesus. You want to build a Jesus culture in your life, a Jesus culture in your home? Understand you're always repping Jesus Christ. Everything. Not just the what we call the spiritual or the religious, but the unspiritual, the mundane. And let me just send a little warning here. Over the next few months as this presidential election you know, comes, the way you talk... You're repping Jesus, so watch. Mind the gap when it comes to your mouth. You're repping Jesus. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether you then eat, drink, whatever you do, do all what how? glory of God. Now listen, how am I going to know 
what to say. How, how, how can I speak for Jesus? How can I wrap him in my words if I don't know what he says? Takes me right back to where we started, doesn't it? If I want to wrap him in this word, I need to know what he says and what he expects and the message that he wants me to communicate. And then number four, lastly, be thankful and be positive. I feel like I've already preached that. Look at verse 17 again, the very end of it. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Look at verse 16 with thankfulness. Look at verse 15. Be thankful. Three times in these three verses he talked about being thankful and I, I put the word positive in there because I just think they go together. I don't, I don't know how to be thankful and negative at the same time. Some of you seem to, you know, try to perfect it, but it doesn't work, does it? To be, you know, being thankful means you're positive. Do you know where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote this letter, including those three verses that talked about being thankful? Do you, do you know where he was when he wrote this letter? Anybody know where he was? He was in prison. Look at chapter 4, verse 18, in the middle of it. Remember my imprisonment. He was in prison when he wrote this. And, and we've got all these excuses for why we can't worship Jesus with joy and why we can't smile and why we can't be thankful and why we can't be positive. All these... We, He's in jail, folks. The book of Acts, Paul and Silas are in jail for preaching Jesus. And at midnight it says they're praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Then they saw a miracle. You think God's going to give you a miracle when you walk around critical and negative and unthankful all the time? Jesus with the disciples in the upper room, Passover, Lord's Supper, going out to the Garden of Gethsemane at the foot of the Mount of Olives where he will be arrested and he knows he's going to be beaten and tortured and executed. He knows all that. And as they leave that room, what does Jesus have the disciples do? They sing a hymn of praise to God. What's your excuse for not being thankful as a follower of Jesus Christ? You want to credit Jesus' culture? Learn gratitude. Learn positivity. Learn to be thankful. Folks, we're having, <laughs> i got to wrap this up. We're having an influence on people all the time. We're having an influence on our family. We're having an influence on the future. There's a man who grew up in Maryland named Wes Moore. He grew up with a single mom. His dad died when he was three, I believe it was. When he was about eight years old, he, he started getting in trouble with the law, but he got his life turned around. He ended up graduating Phi Beta Kappa from Johns Hopkins, became a Rhodes Scholar, did a tour, a, a, a combat tour in Afghanistan, and, and he served as a fellow in the White House under former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. And he wrote a book, The Other West Moore. You know what it's about? It's about another man who also grew up in Maryland that had his name, two Westmores. The other Westmore, when he was age 11, started getting in trouble with the law as well. 
their paths, they're so similar. Single mom, no dad, Westmore, Westmore, Maryland, trouble the law at age 11. But the second Westmore, the other Westmore, he's in prison today for life without parole, possibility, without the possibility of parole, because of his participation in the murder of a police officer. Both of them growing up with single moms, tough areas, getting in trouble when they're really young, but then their paths parted different directions. Let's call him the good Westmore, the author. He said, my mother could teach me to be a good person. But she couldn't teach me to be a good man. He gives credit to other men that chose to enter his life and invest in him. Family members, teachers who who poured themselves into him and it, it changed the direction, the trajectory of his future. The other Westmore, the one in prison, last time he saw his father, he only saw his father three times in life. The last time he saw his father, his father looked up at him in a drunken stupor and asked, who are you? Now, if you don't think the investment you make in your children and grandchildren, if you don't think the investment you make in your marriage, you don't think the the investment you make in relationships, your relationship with family and your relationship with God, you don't think your investment in life matters? Wake up. It matters. And and if you want tomorrow to look a certain way, you better get after it today. Today. Because people who keep saying tomorrow, guess what? It's always tomorrow. And rarely ever becomes today for them. Excuse and delay. Excuse and delay. Excuse and delay and delay excuse and delay today the bible says today if you hear his voice harden not your heart you want tomorrow to be different start today start now start this moment start this morning and make your tomorrow different for your family by making it different for you individually perfect not until heaven Can you control and guarantee everything? No. But I'd rather spend my life doing what makes life and family have a better chance of success and being together down the road. I'd rather spend my life doing that than doing the things I know will cause my family to blow it. You with me? You with me, church? You with me? What are you going to do? What are you going to change? What are you going to do differently? What are you going to start today to invest 
in your family's future, in your future when it comes to Jesus Christ. Then tell God what you're going to do and ask him to help you. And if you're, if you're making a bunch of mistakes, ask him to forgive you and ask him to help you be different because he will and he wants to. So let's stand.